Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, friends and neighbors, welcome to 31 Days of Horror. Day number 31! Yay, we made it! We made it! (laughs) As you can hear, Honeybee is with me for this final day of our marathon. What's up, motherfuckers? (laughs) As we've been plugging all month, we're going to be discussing Halloween ends, to which I say, do you promise? Do you swear? I saw this um, meme the other day, and it was like, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis has one more chance, or I'm going to handle Michael my damn self. (laughs) (laughs) She gets one more movie, and that's it. I saw her on Jimmy Kimmel on YouTube, and he had her sign a document swearing that she would not be oh. in any more Halloween movies ever. Oh my god! He was like, he was like you, say, you say this is the last one. Are you willing to put that in writing? Oh my gosh, wow. He pulled out a scroll that was like, oh. uh, I, Jamie Lee Curtis, daughter of Tony Curtis and Janet Lee, do hereby swear and affirm that I will oh never again god. appear in a Halloween movie. So help me God, Baba Booey. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> there you go. There you go. But I don't know because, like, you know, I get kind of like started a whole nother storyline. I wouldn't be surprised if in 10 years they just do a remake. Oh, yeah. But we will get to it. But this one, this version is completely done. I can't imagine Jamie Lee doing another one, at least not as this character. Maybe just a cameo. I didn't think it would be her. I thought it would be like her granddaughter and maybe the the douchey boyfriend or whatever. Like uh, I just thought it was it... like open to being able to, well, yeah, but neither does Michael every fucking movie. Right. So who cares if he didn't make it? Well, that yeah. seemed like maybe what they were going for, but then it seemed like, no, they weren't going for that. So <laughs> who knows? <clears throat> but uh, oh, yeah, I, I, I can see them just doing a complete remake slash reboot in mm-hmm. 10 years. Not any, there's not be anything next year. Nice. Personally, I'd just like to see something new. Uh, let's get into some stats. It came out this month yeah. on the 14th. It's in color. It is 111 <laughs> minutes directed by David hey. Gordon Green as the last two were based on characters by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. The budget was $33 million. The box office was $82.4 million. And, Honeybee, we're going to have a special interview later. Ooh, with a friend. Uh, We have an inside <laughs> scoop. My brother knows a guy. I got a guy. He knows a guy. Someone Justin from the Paul inside. Warren. That's right. guy named Justin Paul Warren who actually worked on the film. He did color correction, but these days that is done in like real time on the set. So he oh, was wow. there. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. That's cool. He was there while they were filming uh, part of it, but I'll save that for the interview. Score. Yeah. 
So we'll talk to him in a little bit, but first we're going to go over this movie some. Uh, those are all the, oh, so the budget was, did I say 33 million yeah. box office so far is 82.4 million. It's still playing. So it might end yeah, up being more than that. I, I saw a headline that said, uh, yes, it's also on Peacock, which is how I watched it. Nice. I went to the theater. I saw some headlines saying that it was the lowest box office of the, of these three movies, but you know, it's still playing. So. Yeah, but still, that's a that's eighty two point four. That's not yeah, bad. That's doing pretty well. It's worth the effort. Considering it's only been out for a few yeah. weeks, it's it stars, of course. <laughs> it stars, of course, Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Strode. Shout out, Andy Matichak. Andy Matichak as Allison Nelson, Laurie's granddaughter. We saw her in the previous two movies. Will Patton as Deputy Frank Hawkins, a sheriff's deputy who arrested Michael following his initial killing spree in 78. Rowan Campbell as Corey Cunningham. Eesh. Kyle Richards as Lindsay Wallace, one of the children Lori babysat in 1978. James Jude <laughs> Courtney as Michael Myers slash The Shape. And Nick Castle, who portrayed the character in the original 1978 film, provides voiceover work for Myers breathing and makes an unrelated cameo appearance in a party scene. Nice. They're like, uh, can we get Michael's breath in here? I need to shoot this <laughs> scene. <laughs> I think that might have just been a little thing so they could say that he played Michael again. Uh, so, and there's a bunch of other people, but we don't care about them. <laughs> Wah, wah. Honeybee, what were your initial impressions of the movie? Uh, well, I'm going to say that my expectations of the movie were very, like, set at the last movie, right? So, like, last year, mm -hmm. that movie, that's kind yeah. of where my expectations were, you know? Like, I was kind of uh -huh. feeling it was going to be on somewhere along that line, and I was taken for a fucking ride because i did not realize that this movie was not going to be like that at all <laughs> it really be wasn't completely different and i know that i know i as i was watching it me and gus went and saw it in the theater we we're the only people in the whole theater we went like in the middle of the day and so we could like talk as loud as we wanted and it was just <laughs> so much fun it was super fun which kind of made the experience for me too like i enjoyed it so much but also, I knew, like, the whole movie, I was like, oh, God, I just know Precious is so pissed off right now. <laughs> like, I just felt like you were going to hate it so much. And Well, for me what? to be pissed off about it, I would have to give a shit. Okay, okay. So maybe you just don't give a shit enough. I don't give a shit about Michael Myers or Halloween. Yeah, I would say, I would say, yeah, I was never... Like, it wasn't until we did 31 Days of Horror that I, because I had seen the original movie, like, from the 70s, maybe mm. once before when I was super young. But then Michael Myers was never, like, something that I was into. I was more of a, like, yeah. it, Captain Spaulding kind of horror movie. Like, I was a clowns kind of fan. So I never liked, like, Halloween or Freddy Krueger or any of those things. Kind of the, like, classics. So this was kind mm. of, um, last year was really, like, the first time where I kind of gave a shit. And I feel like that sort of gave me an advantage because I don't really care about the story or I don't really know the storyline or whatever. 
that it changing so drastically for this like final film I really enjoyed I loved like all of the shocking like what the fuck is going on right now ness of the movie so it really reminds me of our regular show where people have grown up with these movies people who listen to our podcast probably have seen the the movies that we're reviewing you know they've seen them they saw them when they came out or they've seen them since then whereas for me it's the first time that i'm seeing them so i'm not as emotionally attached or attached in a certain way to the story so it's easier for me not to hate it do you know what i mean uh-huh. so i kind of feel the same way about like how the halloween story is like i'm not really connected to it or like you said i don't give a shit really about like the um original details or you know any of that i'm not i'm it's just not like one of my things so i know the movie got a lot of backlash i know it did um but i really really loved it the like really shock and awe factor of me for for me how different it was from the other movie um it just really just it was insane and i i my first impressions of the movie were complete shock. Like, it was such a ride. I was so confused. Of, like, oh my, like, what is happening so much? But it was so fun and so entertaining. I would also say, I, yeah, I mean, that's really it. It's just like the shock and awe for me. My initial thoughts are like the shock of the things that happened in this movie really kept me going. And because I'm not so emotionally attached to the Halloween story, I really loved it. I could see why people hated it and like didn't like the changes. But I even read an article about um, John Carpenter like giving uh, Green's David Gordon Green's like ideas about the movie, like uh, the go ahead that he really like he wasn't against it, you know. So I, that even made me feel better about it too. Is like this guy made these characters like if he is cool with these kind of like going in these weird directions then i don't know i feel like i should be too i guess i don't know i loved it i didn't love it but i didn't hate it but okay, i know the internet is that. mad the internet is the internet so is mad. mad and and i do understand why yeah totally i'm not sure that the final chapter is the time to start experimenting <laughs> and i which is what they were doing they should have yeah. done this shit in the previous film. Uh-huh. And some of the stuff that happened in the last one should have happened in this one. And, and it did seem like they were maybe setting it up for a new Michael, but then that doesn't happen. So I don't know what the fuck they were doing. Mm-hmm. But I also understand that Carpenter and what's his name? Green. Green. Uh, David Gordon Green. They're storytellers and filmmakers. They're not a bunch of fanboys. Yeah. They don't necessarily give a shit about what the fans want. And what you the fans heard. want isn't always what they need or deserve. You heard it here first, folks. We are available to be canceled at any point. <laughs> <laughs> on the other hand, you are making a product that you want people to spend their money on. So yeah, if you maybe have a clue that you might piss off your customer base you know maybe make an adjustment well i saw there which was an I, entire I think, petition for him to reshoot the entire movie which is ridiculous when i was that's ridiculous like fuck yeah, off, it's not internet. gonna i don't know who these they did the same goddamn thing with star wars and i don't know who these assholes think they are but there is no way 
a studio or a director is going to say, you know what, you're right. I'm just going to spend well because forty million dollars. Yeah, no matter how many people say like, oh, I fucking hated it, refilm it. There's going to be a million other people on the other side saying like, oh, what a great idea. I really liked that. So shove your petition up your ass, internet. People were so upset about what happened, what was done to Luke Skywalker, and we demand a reshoot. Like, no. And you know what? You're free to ignore it, just like I ignore those prequels. Yeah. Star Wars doesn't care about canon, and neither should you. But that is an entire (laughs) other podcast. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah, totally. We're going to take a quick break here, and then we'll be back with our interview. Folks, we have a special guest with us here today for our final episode of 31 Days of Horror, Mr. Justin Paul Warren. Welcome to the show, Justin. Hey, thank you for having me here, Precious. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself Okay. and what it is you do? Well, um, I'm a filmmaker that lives in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm originally from Texas, which is how I uh, got to know you today through uh, your brother Gabriel, because uh, he and I used to make movies together uh, back in the day. I've been an uh, independent film director of short films and music videos and commercials for a while, but I also um, work in the film industry as what's called a digital imaging technician, a DIT for short. I've been doing that for about 13 years now, and I've gotten to work on some pretty exciting projects, one of them of which is uh, the latest Halloween movie that's in theaters right now. Yes, which is why we asked you here today. Yeah. My partner, uh, Honeybee, and I... uh are going to do a little overview and review of the movie. But uh, we thought it'd be really cool to talk to somebody who actually worked on it. So what? tell us a little bit about what it is you did on the movie. I was only there for part of it. I got to say, I wasn't there for the whole thing, but I was there for um, the finale of the movie, um, which was really exciting. So I got to be there for, am I allowed to talk about certain scenes from the movie? Yes, we issued or will issue a spoiler alert at the beginning. We always spoil the movies, but when we do a more recent one, we want to give everyone a warning. But it came out on the 14th, so people have had enough time. Yeah, You shouldn't be listening to this episode if you haven't watched it yet. So go ahead. Okay, cool. Spoil away. All right. Okay, cool. I was there for the uh, fight in the kitchen between Michael Myers and Laurie, and uh, uh-huh. especially when Allison came back in and grabbed his arm and broke it. And, right. Uh, and then I was there for the entire, for every other scene that took place afterwards that um, was uh, with the motorcade of all of Haddonfield mm-hmm. gathering together and following the car with Michael Myers tied to the top of it. Right. Following to the junkyard and then shredding Michael Myers apart in the shredder. Um, <laughs> which was an amazing thing to stand there and witness. I mean, uh-huh. I, I got to say, like, that was emotional, man. That was, it was powerful. And I mean, you know, I know a lot of people have mixed feelings about the movie. It's a very polarizing movie right now, um, mostly because people didn't think that Michael Myers had enough screen time and that he wasn't powerful enough in the movie and everything. But regardless of what you feel about that, I think everyone can agree that that motorcade scene at the end and the the finale of grinding him in that 
meat grinder in that trash middle middle grinder was 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 powerful and uh, i thought that the story had really good closure for laurie strode which has been in my opinion the most iconic heroine in horror film history next to maybe janet lee and psycho played by her own mother but that's not really a heroine because she was a victim and died halfway through the movie <laughs> right but uh what i did on the movie was um like i said i'm a digital imaging technician i am what were i am the person who works as the bridge between the production and the post-production uh, it is my responsibility to help make sure that the look of the film is being captured for the cinematographer the way that he or she wants it to be that includes making sure that everything is exposed right and making sure that everything is color corrected to look the way that he or she wants it to look and in this regard on halloween ends because I was just there for the finale, I had to reference what the previous DIT was doing for all of the material that he shot for principal photography and honor that, but also honor what the new DP wanted, which was um, to both honor what we did in principal photography and to make sure that we were honoring the original Halloween. So I feel that Halloween ends really did honor the original Halloween quite well. And I think that story-wise it did, and visually it did too. So the cameras would plug into my system that I built myself. It's a video cart with all kinds of gadgets and gizmos on it. And um, I color correct on the fly live the image coming into me and uh, adjust the camera settings remotely at my station. And basically, it's the cinematography central station of the show is my cart. So it's a fun job. And I, uh, I had a blast there. This was actually my third film to do with director David Gordon Green. I've worked on a couple of movies with him in the past uh, in Texas, back when I lived in Texas. And that was how I got to do the project because he remembered me and so did uh, the DP because he al David always likes to work with the same people every time. And um, mm -hmm. after I moved to Atlanta, we kind of lost track of each other. But him coming to Georgia for Halloween Ends was uh, something that kind of brought us back together. And I'm really happy to say that I'll be joining him on his next project, which is the really big budget remake of, well, not remake, excuse me, reboot of The Exorcist. And that'll be, I'll be doing the entire movie of that. Oh, okay. You mentioned the... Uh... There was a was there more than one DP on here, or was it like a yeah, first unit, second um, unit? There, there were two DPs because there was um. The, well, there, That's there director might... of photography for you, not film experts out there. <laughs> yeah, there were uh, there were two. There might have even technically been three because there was a second unit as well. Um, but th mm -hmm. that's very common. Yeah, the uh, the main DP, his name is Michael Simmons, who I might actually be meeting this week, or I will be meeting this week, but I might be meeting him as soon as tomorrow for Exorcist. I'm excited about meeting him. But um, his uh, the I was on what's called the finale unit in the movie, uh -huh. <laughs> which is kind of funny. But they reshot the ending of the movie, and they added the whole motorcade and everything. Like, originally, oh. it was much more anticlimactic. Okay. I saw the stills of the principal photography of what the original ending was. And in the original ending, uh, Allison didn't come back in to help Lori in the kitchen battle. 
and Lori just kills him, and then they cremate the body, and she types her memoir, and that's it. Like, the movie's <laughs> over. <laughs> so everything that I got to do was to, like, amp up the ending and have the okay. town and have Haddonfield get involved, which was really cool. Yeah, the principal photography was done by Michael Simmons, and uh, the finale unit was done by Eric Tremel. And uh, Eric's a very talented man that I've worked with a bunch. That was how I was able to get the job was because David and Eric knew me. I see. And then they introduced me to Michael through some emails and phone calls. And uh, he agreed to bring me on for Exorcist. So I start that tomorrow. Wow. That's, yeah. that's great. I'm very that is excited. great. So by, by the time this is aired, folks, he will have already started. So <laughs> yeah. good luck with that. Thanks. <laughs> I was looking through some of your filmography here. You did some work on Powerpuff. That's not I, out yet. That is in pre-production. I did work on that, and I don't think that's ever going to come out. Oh, it just says pre-production here, and there's some still photos. We shot a pilot for it, and like over a year ago. Oh, and... yeah, it says 2020, yeah. Yeah, if you were to Google it, you could find um, some information about the three actresses that we had playing the girls and mm -hmm. Chloe Bennett, who played Quake in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, Daisy Johnson uh -huh. was her character name. She quit. She thought it was terrible, and she quit. And <laughs> um, <laughs> At least that's the impression I got. But, I mean, you can find articles on the Internet that she quit. And why else would she quit other than thinking it was bad? Right. But, I mean, I read the script, and it definitely changed a lot about the Powerpuff Girls. Yeah, this is a adult live-action Powerpuff Girls sequel. Yes. Yes, it was. And, yes, it was very awkward. Was the tone adult? Yes, it was. <laughs> oh, okay. So they're not just grown up, but they're having a grown up attitude. <laughs> they're having a grown up attitude. They're drinking buttercups of lesbian. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. it was just weird. <laughs> yeah. I don't think anybody can honestly be surprised that buttercups a lesbian. Yeah, but I, don't I, don't think think... I don't think that's surprising either. But... <laughs> I don't think anybody, though, needs to wants, needs or wants to see them drinking or necessarily hear any details about their sexuality one way or the other. Yes, exactly. Like, um, <laughs> who cares? And just let it be. Like, yeah. you know, these are cartoon characters. We don't need to do all that. Like, there's a lot of controversy mm. going on around right now about Velma from Scooby-Doo being a lesbian. And, uh -huh. I mean, I think that's fine. I think everybody saw <laughs> that one coming, too. I haven't watched it yet. It's not free yet. <laughs> right, yeah. I'll see it when it's free. Yeah, I mean... I mean, she's definitely been straight in other versions, and in most versions, it just doesn't come up because it's a kid's cartoon. Exactly. <laughs> that's not why we're here. <laughs> nope, that's not why we're here. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I worked on Powerpuff, and it was, um, I mean, for all intents and purposes, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think, okay. I don't think they're going to ever finish that. All right. Well, I was curious about that, but... <laughs> Maybe a bootleg will show up on the interwebs or it's yeah, already there if you know where to look. Yeah, years ago there was a Wonder Woman pilot that got canceled, but I was able to download the pilot oh, before it Wonder disappeared. Woman. That's cool. Yeah, it was not good. <laughs> <laughs>
No, uh, Warner Brothers took one look at it and said, nope, shut it down. Yeah, just like the Batgirl movie recently. I haven't seen They were absolutely right to do it with this Wonder Woman pilot. I have no idea if they were right to do it with this Batgirl movie. It does seem a shame that like people won't get to see it. To lose the Batgirl movie because it had Michael yeah. Keaton and it was like a $90 million movie. Well, I'm a big DC guy, but I have not been happy with a lot of their live action stuff. Mm-hmm. So I can believe that somebody just took a look at it and said, oh, no, this is terrible because they've done a lot of terrible stuff. They've done recently. a lot of bad stuff, but I mean, a lot of their, some of their stuff's been good. Um, well, I wanted to talk to you about one of the things okay. uh, that's on your resume of all the recent live action DC TV shows. Stargirl is the best. And I see that you did a little bit of work on Stargirl. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did most of the first season of Stargirl and uh, I had an amazing experience working on that show. Um, and uh, I worked on it for, yeah, like the majority of the first season. I didn't get fired or anything. I just left to go back to Black Lightning. Um, uh, okay. Yeah. Yes, I knew. Gable had mentioned you worked on Black, like, Black Lightning. I've only seen a little bit of that. I'll catch up at some point. Okay, cool. Yeah, I did every season of Black Lightning, four years of it. And that job changed my life. Wow. It's what kind of established me here in Atlanta and helped me get a career going for myself out here after moving here on a leap of faith, really, that I took. One of the DPs of an old show that I worked on in Texas had seen on Facebook that I had moved to Atlanta. And he's like, hey, I actually have a show coming up in Atlanta. Would you like to be my DIT? And I was like, oh, my God, yes. I just moved here. And um, a couple of shows that I had been promised to get had moved to other states. And so I moved here on a leap of faith. And then all the jobs that I had went away. And I was like, oh, my God, I got nothing. This is terrible. But uh, I did Black Lightning, and I did it for four years. After the second season of Black Lightning, I went to go do Stargirl. And Stargirl was a very ambitious production. Season one was back when it was working, uh, when it was going to be playing on DC Universe, back when that was actually a network. Yes. Yep. And so this was... I paid for that. Yep, I did too. I'm still paying for it. Uh, yeah, for DC Universe Ultimate, which is now only comic yes. books. <laughs> which is less, yeah. How do you call it Ultimate when it's less material than I the know, previous version? It drives me crazy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this was a bit, the, the first season was a big budget production. Like, I'm talking $11 million per episode, probably. Wow. And uh, that's a lot. I mean, you know, nowadays yeah. you've got things like Stranger Things, which, you know, season four had like $30 million per episode, which is insane. It's insane. But that's ridiculous. Yeah. Now, TV is, is really experiencing a new renaissance of what it is and what it can do and how much money they can put into it. I mean, I don't know how you track how much you make in streaming revenue, but I mean, clearly it's profitable. Right. Um, but it wasn't for TV. <laughs> Unfortunately. I, I feel like if you're uh, if you're spending that much, though, that you might be wasting some. You've got to be. you got to be. Like, when you have a small budget, you're forced to be efficient and to make the most with what you've got. Yeah. And when the budget's unlimited, I think there's a tendency to just not care 
Yeah. Like, yeah, sure, whatever, do do whatever. We got the money. Right. But uh, yeah, I mean, I uh, I really liked my time on Stargirl. Jeff Johns, the creator of the show, and the, yep. and the president of DC, uh, is a really cool dude. And the cast, Breck Bassinger, and uh, everyone else on the show, uh, Luke Wilson, and all of them, they're really nice people. If I could ever work with them again, I totally would. As a matter of fact, I kind of feel like leaving Stargirl on the eighth episode of season one to go back to Black Lightning, like, really hurt. But I needed to go back to Black Lightning. Black Lightning was my bread and butter, and it was the show that got me started here in Atlanta. So it, it ended up being a good call for me. I ended up giving the uh, show to my second unit, DIT, who then took over on season one and did season two and did season three. And I don't know if it's going to get a fourth season or not. Nobody knows yet. It hasn't been announced. Well, I think it's only seven episodes into season three. Okay. I didn't realize season three had started, so I have to catch up. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Just today when I was looking things up, I was like, oh, wait, <laughs> it started. I need to go watch it. Oh, so okay. I know what I'm doing this week. <laughs> yeah, oh, right on. Well, I only watched a, I only watched a little bit of Black Lightning, uh, so I don't have any big thoughts about it. But uh, that's okay. I'll go now that it's now that it's wrapped. It's easier for me to catch up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all on Netflix. I think the biggest thing about Stargirl, though, more than the budget or any of that, is that they got the guy who created the comic book to work on the show. Yeah. So that is maybe a hint that other people doing comic book shows should take. Yeah. Get the people that actually worked on the comic book yeah, to work a, with you. He's a, he's a cool guy, too. He's very passionate and um, very, very um, hands-on with the show. I mean, he was... I, I, I've seen a lot of lazy showrunners. I'm not going to name any names, but a lot of them don't even ever <laughs> show up to set. And uh, they just watch the dailies <laughs> and will chime in about their thoughts. But, like, Jeff Johns was there on set every single day and he was not lazy at all he was always going like do you see that prop right there that prop is green lantern's lantern and we have to establish it and we have to give it a hero shot because it is very important <laughs> it's going to be in the next season and uh, or or things like that and he was always always like that and always had lots of energy and was really positive and wanted everybody to catch on to the kind of vibe that he was going with for Stargirl. Um, I remember before season one started, we had, he, he rented out the local Plaza movie theater, which is kind of like in Texas, you guys have got the Alamo draft houses and those are like repertory movie theaters that do like vintage showings of like old 35 millimeter prints and stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, we've got the Plaza out here. And he rented it out and did a screening of Back to the Future. And uh, he was like, this is the kind of vibe I want for Stargirl. is like this old Americana, like, vibe. And, uh, and you can feel that all over Stargirl. It's, it's, it's very classic Amblin entertainment. And yeah. uh, it's a really good show. Okay, folks, this is now a Stargirl podcast, so know, right? join us out. here tomorrow when we go over scene by scene, episode one. <laughs> we'll compare it with issue one of the comic book. 
yeah, let's get back and, to, uh, and we'll have uh, Breck Bassinger on as a guest. <laughs> no, that's a, that is all that is all on me, man. I turned it into the that's Stargirl okay. podcast. That's okay. Uh, but um, let's get back to uh, horror movies and stuff. Yeah, you do a lot of stuff on the fly now. You say, just there on set. Well, it's it's live color correction. In the old days, it would be on film, and you wouldn't know until yeah, you developed you're, it if you you're what exactly needed to right. be done. You're exactly right. Now that things are digital, you can just tweak it as you go. You're exactly right. Um, now, see, the thing is, is like when nowadays there's so much content being made. And it's really almost mm-hmm. out of control how much content is being created now. Um, it's hard for viewers to keep up. Mm-hmm. So much is being done so quickly that it's difficult for a cinematographer to even be present in the color grading room during the final DI, as we call it, digital intermediate, of a film. Uh-huh. Because he's already on his next project shooting it while that movie's being finalized or TV show or whatever it is. So it's really up to him and his DIT to come up with the look of the show right there as it's being shot. That's kind of a high pressure job, but it's really fun. And you get to be really, you can, you get to be creative. You get to be technical. It's, it's, it's a good job. I, I really have a lot of fun with it. And I really have a lot of fun working on horror movies because those are the movies that you get to be really expressive with or the superhero movies. Cause you get to be really creative with those too. I just really like to be stuck in like crazy genre movies. That's what I've, I'm, I'm like intentionally trying to pigeonhole my own career. <laughs> so I can, so I can work in all the genres that I wanted to watch when I was a kid. And I've, I've gotten to do a lot of horror movies too. Um, I don't know if you saw it, but um, I did Hellfest. Uh, that was a few years ago, and that was a really fun horror movie. It was really colorful. It was a movie that took place. Was that the one that's like a Halloween amusement park? Yes, that's what it is. And there's a real killer on the loose. Yeah, that was a, I mean, the movie turned out pretty good, but um, it was a blast to work on. And <laughs> uh, I also worked on Willy's Wonderland, which was um, a Nicolas Cage horror yes. movie. With, uh, uh-huh. Also known as One Night at Freddy's. Right? <laughs> but that was a freaking fucking great time, man. I had the time of my life working mm-hmm. on that movie. Because it was like every day was just Nicolas Cage beating up puppets. I mean, how <laughs> how fun is that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I saw that one. It was, it was fun. Yeah, cool. I'm glad. I'm glad you liked it. But yeah, I've intentionally tried to steer my career that way by you know like shaking enough hands going like hey i really liked your movie here i can i'd really like to dit this for you (laughs) and like most of the time people just you know will take the job because the paycheck sounds good but like i am i'm i'm a really like bubbly on the surface passionate guy and i really have a passion for these genres and I think that's why David Gordon Green was attracted to the idea of bringing me on for The Exorcist after we reunited on Halloween Ends. He's a he's a bubbly, on the surface, passionate guy too, and he's really fun to work with. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, before you go, do you have a favorite monster? A favorite monster? Well, I mean, I I do got to say that like. 
Michael Myers has always been something really amazing to me. And I'm standing right next okay. to a six foot tall life size replica of Michael Myers right now <laughs> in, in my uh, house. Okay. That and Pinhead from Hellraiser. I've even. Okay. Yeah. Back when I was uh, in high school and college, I wanted to be a special effects makeup artist. And I uh, was Pinhead for a couple of Halloweens. And uh, that was really cool. Okay. Did yeah. you see the Did you see the new one? I did see the new one. Yeah. I think that there was a lot that was really great about it, but there's some things that I missed about it too. Mm -hmm. The thing that made the original so effective to me was the familial themes in it of family and betrayal and Kirsty and Frank and Larry and Julia were iconic characters. They were incredible characters that Clive Barker wrote. And I don't think the new girl, Riley, and all of the other characters in the movie that I can barely remember their names. I mean, I remember there was that guy, Boyt, <laughs> who was like the rich guy who built that house that was like a trap that reminded me of 13 Ghosts. <laughs> I didn't think that they were as memorable. And I didn't think that their journey or story was as interesting because it really just seemed like the movie was all about the puzzle box this time and the fact that it had new configurations that we hadn't seen before. And, well, that was really all there was to it, was the fact that this Voight guy really wanted to get somebody to solve the puzzle box for him so he could go have eternal life. And, and that was about it. It, was, it. it had more in common with the second Hellraiser than it did with the first one in that regard, because that Voight guy reminded me of Dr. Chenard from Hellraiser 2. That being said, all of those negative things that I just said, I am a diehard Hellraiser fan, and I think this was a very good movie, and I think that the new ideas for uh, the way that they created the Cenobites, where it was just flayed flesh as their own suits, mm -hmm. was brilliant. And I thought the presentation of the new Pinhead, which was much closer to the Hellbound Heart novella, was also brilliant. Jamie Clayton did an excellent job, and she stole every scene that she was in. And I loved the imagery in the film, but I, I wanted more. I wanted more. I'm looking forward to a sequel if they make it. Okay. Uh, I mean, I don't know how successful it was. It's on, like, Hulu, so... I know, right? <laughs> I have no idea what what kind of box office we're talking about. I don't either. But And I, I think, like Halloween, it's getting a lot of mixed reviews. I think I've mostly seen positive stuff, but... It's got a fresh rating on Tomato, so that's cool. Okay. It's very yeah. uncommon for a Hollywood some... movie to get a fresh rating. <laughs> oh, I did want to mention you, a lot of stuff you say is being done on the fly to being done live. There's a, a cartoon called Super Giant Robot Brothers. I haven't heard of that. <laughs> it's on Netflix, and they're doing the motion capture live. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So the director can, act, can actually you know, direct the actors live and look at how it's i guess they do just a quick rendering not a full rendering nice. as they're uh, filming it uh, i'm not clear if it's the voice actors who are also doing the motion capture or not it seems like that'd be easiest but you never know uh -huh. so it seems like that is something you know more and more things maybe are going to be doing that doing all that technical computer stuff as yeah. they go rather than Definitely. doing it later it it definitely is on a nonstop course of evolution that is getting faster and faster. And I mean, it's 
it's been surprising to me that um, it's like a race that like two different teams are like, you know, competing against each other right now, which is like the, the professional uh, filmmaking market and the consumer market of televisions, because there are 8K televisions out right now. And that's a little crazy because like, yeah, we're barely even 8K right now. I just mentioned that the other day on another episode of what am I going to do with that? There's nothing to watch on it yet. Uh, there's really not. I mean, I did just do a movie that we shot in 8K, but it's not going to be mastered in 8K. Mm -hmm. I mean, it'll be mastered in 4K at the most. And when we shot Hellfest, for example, that movie was shot in 3.4K on an airy mini in open gate. And we... You can go buy that movie in 4K, which means it was blown up to be 4K. So, I mean, mm. like we didn't even shoot it in that. Most movies aren't even shot in that, and yet, yet you can go get them in 4K Blu-rays. I mean, it's like, it's just, I don't know, it's just silly to me. Yeah, is it even actually 4K? Because it's my understanding that with digital, you once you've done it, it's kind of done. And you can't really extract any more resolution out of it. You're right about that. You can scan... You can scan film infinitely to any depth you can pretty much think of. Um, but digital is, well, I mean, it, it kind of is what it is, which is why they're still racing to create these higher imaging cameras right now. Mm -hmm. you know, like you've got the new Alexa 35, which is uh, got, it, it's got great resolution and incredible dynamic range. Um, which dynamic range means the um, how much the camera can see between the highlights and the shadows without the mm -hmm. without like the sun blowing out or the shadows getting too crushed. It's incredible how much that camera can see, either in the light or in the dark. And to me, that's like HDR. That, that that's that's high dynamic range. That's yeah. the real revolution right now with filmmaking. Is is not the, how many Ks something is, but how many stops of dynamic range something has. That's been the most impressive for me as a DIT and as a movie watcher. Mm -hmm. It's still, everybody's trying to keep up with each other. It's, it, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I, I very much have a job that's on the bleeding edge of technology. Because <laughs> half the time when you get something, it's brand new and you don't even know if it's going to work. Right. Well, I just pre-ordered the 4K of Casablanca. Cool. And I remember years ago when the HD Blu-ray was coming out, thinking, "What what is the point of that? How, you know, how, what does the HD mean for these old films?" And then I went and looked it up, and they, <laughs> the there's a lot of definition hidden in the film, uh, especially because the way films design that the light shines through it and then disperses it over yeah. a big screen. So there's all this definition hidden in the film that can be extracted, and as our technology gets better, we can continue to get higher resolution pictures out of that old film whereas you can't do that with the digital you're so maybe in another 10 years i'll be buying an 8k version of right? casablanca you very well might could um and uh that's something that i would always love to get a crack at someday is to be one of the color timers of preserving a, a new scan of an old movie um, cause I, I'm a film mm -hmm. collector. I own like damn near 2000 movies and I've even got a few movies on 35 millimeter film. And, uh, I, 
I just love film history. And I think that being able to preserve that and enhance it even is not only an honor, but I mean, it's, it's important. And um, these are pieces of American history that we are preserving. And it's our culture. It's, it's what made our society. And a lot of it just gets forgotten mm -hmm. or lost. And I consider that a tragedy when that happens. Like I was talking about earlier, I used to go yeah. to the Alamo Draft House in Texas a lot. And they do revival screenings of old movies that a lot of people have never even heard of before at their weird Wednesdays and terror Tuesdays. And uh, that's where I started hearing about a lot of these weird movies. That was where I started to meet like 35 millimeter film collectors. And I started collecting movies along with them and, and everything. And um, that made me more passionate about my own job as a colorist. But I think a good colorist is also a, should also be a good film historian because there's so much, so there's been so many technological leaps in filmmaking uh, and in film color. You know, we've gone from Technicolor to, you know, where we are now. And we've gone from black and white to two strip color to Technicolor to where we are now. And uh, there's been so many different types of film stocks and everything that are, are discontinued that each have a different look and feel and, and, and color to them. That uh, as a DIT, I often will talk to my cinematographer and say, if you were going to shoot this on film, and if I wasn't here, what kind of film stock would you have chosen to shoot this on? <laughs> if they'll tell me, like, oh, I'd really love to do this on ectochrome or on fuji or on a kodak viz 3 or something like that like i'll be like okay well let's see if we can try to emulate that for you and i'll do my best to try to create that look and uh you know like on halloween ends that was a throwback movie that was meant to look like it was shot on vintage kodak film and uh that was what we tried to emulate and uh, i even ripped my 4k blu-ray and my previous blu-ray of halloween onto my system and uh did frame comparisons to make sure that we were matching and respecting the previous material cool very nice justin great job bringing it back around on topic thank you <laughs> <laughs> after we strayed so far yeah thank you so much I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Thank you so much for joining me yeah, thank today. You. This is normally a kaiju-based podcast. Oh, kaiju. I love kaiju. It's just, uh, Gesundheit, it's just during October that we branch out and do the 31 Days of Horror and include all kinds of other stuff. Okay. So if you ever, if you ever work on a kaiju movie, come back and talk to us again. Oh, right well, I do have a very brief kaiju story that would be kind of cool. Sure. When I was working on Willy's Wonderland, Nicolas Cage is a diehard Godzilla fan. And one of my best friends out here in Atlanta, his name is Joseph Teagle. He was the on-set dresser in art department for the movie. Is also a diehard Godzilla movie. I mean, the guy's got Godzilla tattoos like all over his body. And they would geek out about it every single day on set, just talking about like, oh, Nicholas Cage would be like, oh man, I love Biollante. I love Godzilla versus Space Godzilla. That was, that was my favorite one, man. 
and uh, he had this Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla jacket that was like a custom one of a kind thing that was like not only really expensive but probably priceless. And uh, I mean, it was like shimmering with gold. And my friend Joseph was such a diehard fan of Godzilla and was like geeking out with him so much. And they became such good friends that on the last day of filming, Nick gave him his jacket as a girl. <laughs> and uh, I just thought that was like one of the sweetest, coolest things. And wow. It's a great Nick Cage story. It's a great Godzilla story. <laughs> anyway. I knew we had a love of Superman in common. I did not know that we had a love of Godzilla in common. Oh, yeah. He'll talk your ears so, off about it. <laughs> that is good to know. <laughs> All right, folks, that's going to do it for uh, the Justin portion of the show. So now back to me and Honeybee wrapping up Halloween ends. Right on. Thank you. And we're back. Honeybee, Welcome let's back. get into the... Let's get into the details of this thing. Get into Here's our it. summary yeah. from Wikipedia. Thank you, Wikipedia. Thank you, Wikipedia. Oh, I've heard on a lot of your uh, episodes your, with your other interviews about you donating to Wikipedia. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a fortune, yeah. but everybody should do that. Yeah. Give them, give them not... three bucks. Keep them going. <laughs> on Halloween night in 2019... 21-year-old Corey Cunningham is babysitting a young boy named Jeremy. By specifying just, that it's in 2019, they get to ignore COVID. Yeah, yeah. Goodness. I was just about to say, can we just take a moment, all of us, to remember what it was like to live in October of 2019? <laughs> it was Did just you, around the corner. That? We didn't know. It was, it was just know. It was right around the corner. It was right it was around the corner. probably already... It was probably already here and we didn't know. It was, I think, certainly probably in China by that point. Mm-hmm. Ay, ay, ay. Anyway, he's, uh, Corey, Corey Cunningham is babysitting a little shit named Jeremy who yeah. pulls a prank on Corey. So the parents are talking about how he's uh, all upset about this Michael Myers shit had just happened. He had just escaped him the year before, I believe, and uh, torn shit up. So the kids uh, upset about that, and, and the parents are giving Jer- uh, giving Corey a heads up. But he pulls a prank on Corey by locking him inside the attic, just Wait, as Jeremy's parents. Wait, but like before that, go. even before that, uh, they're like, "You can't like he's scared of the shit. He's scared. Be careful." And then he plays an awful, scary movie for him. Yeah. Yes. What was the movie? Do you remember? I've never seen that movie. Like it was. Some weird, obscure, like uh, gruesome, some weird, bloody, I don't know, gory movie that I've never seen, but like an old one. I think it was a real movie, though. I don't remember. Anyway, so he's he's doing a weird hiding thing, and then Corey goes up into the attic to look for him, and he's acting like oh, Michael Myers is in here, and he's trying to get me. But then he locks Corey in the attic. Just as Jeremy's parents come home, Corey kicks the door open after just yelling, I'm going to kill you. He kicks the door open and accidentally knocks Jeremy over a staircase railing to his death. Holy he falls like two whole stories. Shit. He falls off the third story it's, down it's, two stories. Yeah, this is in the first like few minutes of the movie. It's the, it's the first point in the movie where you it's pure adrenaline rush that has nothing to do with like the regular story that you're used to the Michael Myers story that you know and love. And here you are for the last movie. This has really nothing to do with it. Is it connected? Sure. 
but it it just really <laughs> is the first like shock of the movie that's like oh my god it's a little bit like a james bond movie where he takes out somebody that is not connected to the rest of the film at the beginning yeah it, it was the first moment of like, oh, up, kids. This is not what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> uh, and instantly, yeah. I was, I was instantly hooked. Like instantly in this story, like what the fuck? And I will say too, the actor who plays the babysitter in this scene, two things I'd like to say. One, I got vibes that he wanted to fuck the mom, and I was like, oh, what? Okay, <laughs> what's going on? Here? And then two. I thought in this scene, like his acting, I was kind of like, eh, this kid's kind of like overdoing it. And I I, I don't know if he's like going to be great. Like, I was just kind of like, didn't know if I liked the acting in that scene, you know, like, but then once the kid dies and there's kind of this like character development, I'm like, oh, okay. That's his acting was kind of like eh, in that moment because he had to like grow into this other person. And then I felt like mm -hmm. the guy who was the actor was actually really great. And I just kind of, he kind of like throws you off in the scene of like him being just a shit, like him like flirting with the mom and then like him being a shitty babysitter and just like kind of how he feels You're like, man, this guy, this guy kind of sucked. And then when he really <laughs> gets into like his character and he is, you know, this kind of the movies kind of revolving around him. I felt like he really did an amazing job and I kind of prejudged him in this scene of like, oh, I don't know if I like this guy. And I was like, oh, and I do this guy. This guy's great. I think another thing they were trying to do is showing the ripple effect that Michael is having on the town that even though he's not directly responsible for this, he is yeah. indirectly responsible for creating the mood and the atmosphere that led to this. All the totally. stuff with the kid being afraid and pretending that Michael might be in the house and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Three years later. Oh, so we do jump to after COVID. Three years later, the town of Haddonfield, Illinois, is still reeling from the aftermath of Michael Myers' latest killing spree in 2018, while Michael has vanished. Lori Strode is writing a memoir, having bought a new house and living with Alice and her granddaughter, who is now a nurse. And Lori seems to be just trying to get on with her life and i don't yeah get why what what i i don't get is why did she buy a house that was the exact same fucking shape and looks like the <laughs> house that all of this shit happened in in the 70s like i was like do they all look like this she should have left haddonfield but yes probably most of the houses were built by the same developers who used similar it, floor panels they it might looks, just it's like turn it in the other direction different yeah it's like a different color and like there's a window added, but it's like the same damn shape. Like this house has the living room on the left and the kitchen on the right. And the house next door has the living room on the right and the kitchen on the left. They're completely different. <laughs> I think there are houses like that where they just flip the floor plan and it's the same exact house. But the thing is she, and I can't take credit for this observation. I was watching a pitch meeting on YouTube. Okay. She spent the last 40 years preparing training for the contingency that michael might escape uh -huh. and then michael does escape and is not recaptured and then she decides to just go about her life that's so that point. seems weird she should be gearing up even more now that she knows he's running around loose maybe it's like one of those uh, things where like you're just so scared or like you want something so bad and then you get eh, that's 
<laughs> She's like, I spent all that time prepping and look what good it did me. May as well just fuck mm-hmm. it. <laughs> I'm just going to write a fucking Anyway, book. she's living <laughs> yeah, She's living with her granddaughter, Allison, who is now a nurse. Meanwhile, Corey is working at his stepfather's salvage yard. We don't realize till later that it's his stepfather. On his way home one day, he is taunted by high school bullies, and as everyone has pointed out, these high school bullies are in the marching band. (laughs) Wow. It's not the football team. It's not the basketball team. It's the marching band. And aren't these kids, like, they're seniors in high school, so, like, presumably they're 17, 16, 17 years old. And then isn't he, like, 22 or 23? I'm like, so. why is this grown ass man letting oh, he was, teenage no. kids bully him? He was twenty one he was twenty one three years ago. So he's twenty four now. That's even so, worse. Yeah. Yeah. Well they they want him to buy buy them beer and he won't, so then they start pushing him around. I guess they do have him outnumbered. <laughs> anyway, he uh injures himself in the process. And observing Lori brings him to the doctor's office. Well first she runs the bullies off and uh, they together start stab the kids tires they I kinda, slash, I, they love slash their t- I do not <laughs> I like, would do you never, want to do it or should I? I yeah yeah I in real life if this were to happen I would be like nah fuck that that's not cool but it, it, in this moment like them kind of bonding because like he's the fucking wackadoodle that like killed the kid and then she's the wackadoodle mm. that like keeps bringing Michael Myers to everyone so it's like yeah. they kind of bond over this like bully moment of like yeah but like fuck this guy like but in reality it's like dude this is a high school kid like don't fucking touch someone else's car like you know all of the things but i really did love this moment i love it so laurie uh he cut his hand on the on the bottle the broken bottle uh laurie takes him to the doctor's office where allison works and as soon as they see each other it's like it's ridiculous. <laughs> I I'm gonna, I swear they should have just used that music. They should. They really should have. Um, in most movies, I can really deal with the like stupidness in it, but I felt like in this one, it did add to the dynamic of the storyline. So I'm gonna let it slide that there is a romance. Usually, I don't find them necessary in things like this, you know. Right. But uh, I, I I thought this one was all right because of the dynamic. Of, like, grandmother, mm. Michael Myers, this fucking weird, you know. So, Allison and Corey develop a relationship and later attend a Halloween party where Corey is confronted by Jeremy's mother. This is at the bar. I think it's the same bar that was featured in the Yeah, does she just, is she just going to wear this Halloween costume for the rest of her life? Like, she's just wearing the same costume every Halloween? Who, the mother? Yeah, to mourn her I didn't son, notice. or like, well, what was yeah, the, was, what was her I, costume? She was kind of like someone like in like the, I guess the twenties, like with the finger wave and the like dress with the frilly, okay, like the frilly dress, like a flapper. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. uh huh, yeah. After having an argument with Allison, Corey leaves the party and runs into the bullies who throw him off a bridge. He also picks up a scarecrow mask. His costume is just a cheap ass plastic scarecrow mask, just the Aww. kind that's just the front. You know, the the like the little kid kind that's just the front of the mask with a strap on it. You like very like breakfast. Very what? Breakfast at Tiffany's. They go downtown and they have those masks that are just like they put over their faces in okay. downtown New York. I did not. Anyway. I did not remember that. I don't care for that movie. Why? Because she's a hooker. Is she? I thought she was just a bit of a bit of a tramp. <laughs> Is 
I didn't run. Well, I mean, she. I didn't catch that she was a professional. I think was. Yeah. I, I just got that she was a, uh, uh, not like a a call girl exactly, just a bit of a tramp willing to go with whoever will buy dinner, but not like for money, like you a, know, not like here's my hourly rate kind of. Yeah, but she, but she even talks about her out like what she usually gets to go to the powder room, quote unquote, is fifty. Well, see, I just, I, I just, I just shut all that out. I just <laughs> pushed it out of my mind because I didn't care for it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, back to this movie. Um, then let's see. Um, Michael. Oh, so he he gets dragged into the sewer and confronted by Michael, who eventually lets him go. There's some weird. They lock eyes and you know. Yeah. Okay. I don't we know, we gotta see talk each other's souls or some shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's like Michael's gonna kill him. Like it's like also there's a weird homeless guy like trying to feed people to Michael or some shit, which is kind of weird. But. Uh, <laughs> There's this weird moment yeah. that they have where it's like Michael's going to kill him, but he sees into his soul, sees his memories, and decides like, oh, you killed a kid. I feel bad for you. I don't know what really happens, but Michael decides not to kill him, and now they have brother magic powers. Yeah, uh, I don't know. The homeless guy does seem to be kind of like, uh, look, I won't tell anyone you're in there if you just leave me alone, okay? If you'll be cool with me, I'll be cool with you. And uh, But he, yeah, doesn't tell anybody, don't go in there. I, I did not gather that from the homeless guy. I thought he was like straight, like... <laughs> the homeless guy knows... The in there. Oh, I don't know. I'm saying he clearly knows Michael's in there, but Michael mm -hmm. isn't bothering him. Oh, so yeah. they have some kind of understanding. What that is exactly, I don't know, but they clearly have worked out a, you don't bug me, I won't bug you kind of situation. Uh, on the way out, Corey is confronted by a homeless man. In a struggle, Corey stabs the man to death and flees. So this one is made to look kind of like an accident again. But, you know, yeah, he's this just is twice now accidentally, accidentally killed, killed someone. someone. Yeah. And I think he's starting to realize, like, that he's never felt so alive when yeah. he is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and when he's actually Corey and Allison. Like someone. Corey and Allison go on a dinner date. He tells her, I killed someone, but she does not realize he means recently. <laughs> she, <laughs> she knows like, about yeah, the accident the with the boy. Knows. I've yeah. heard. I know everything. The whole oh, town knows he killed God. someone. You crazy yeah. pants. Ugh. <laughs> Allison's ex-boyfriend is he was he even I got more the impression they just went on a couple of dates not yeah I don't really I, I, I really don't know I also got the impression that they went on just a couple of dates but I think it's meant to be that way because it's like you know that they just went on a couple of dates but that kind of adds to his like douchebag factor that right. he's like we're right. ex like we but were together it <laughs> Well, I get the feeling that he thinks, well, we've had a couple dates and we could potentially have a couple more as opposed to you were my boyfriend and now you are no longer my boyfriend. I feel like he could have been her dad. Right? It seems like it seems like, well, that too. But it just seems like it's kind of up like, in the air. You know? There what? hasn't been an actual, <laughs> right. There hasn't been an actual breakup because there was never an actual being together. It's still, mm -hmm. hey, when are we going to go out again kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the, the, the whatever he is, is a police officer, Doug Mullaney, and he shows up and harasses them both. Corey later lures the cop into the sewer. Michael emerges and kills Doug to Corey's delight. 
Allison is passed over for promotion at work. Speaking of prostitutes, in favor of a fellow nurse who's having an affair with the doctor. So, yeah, this, she is not technically a prostitute, but she is using sex to get the things she wants. So Corey then kills the doctor at his home while the nurse is killed by Michael. And Corey is wearing the... Uh, scarecrow mask at this point yeah so like this is weird because i'm like oh wait so now they're killing together but he kind of has this moment where Corey has this moment where he's like show me show me how to do it like he literally <laughs> says that show me show me and then michael you know like goes ham and like kills like slices the prostitute like slams her <laughs> knifes her to the wall <laughs> the, and the um nurse. the nurse right sorry <laughs> yeah, sex work is real work okay <laughs> I have no judgment. It here. is, but she's mixing but she's mixing it with her nurse work, and that's maybe not appropriate. <laughs> True. She's using it to get an unfair advantage. Uh but let me go back a minute though. When mm-hmm. Michael Michael's been living in this cave and he seems very weak. Mm-hmm. And when he kills the policeman, it's like he kinda he sort of straightens he straightens up and it's like he gets a surge of power. And yeah. that together with the eye lock thing earlier sort of hints at something kind of supernatural going on, but they don't go all the way with it. Right. But the thing is, this is one of the things that is pissed off the internet and that I do have questions about. I definitely have questions. At the end of the last movie, Michael was just an unstoppable killing machine. Mm -hmm. He takes on a whole mob of people by himself. And in that (laughs) scene, it does kind of seem like he gets strong. The more people he kills, the stronger he gets because they sort of get the jump on him. But then, he starts killing them and just kills more and more of them. And yeah. then he just goes and hides in a tunnel for three years yeah. and loses all of his mojo because he hasn't been killing anybody. It's He just seems so weak in this movie when he was so strong at the end of the other one. And I haven't kept a running count, but in this continuity anyway, that last that scene was probably the most people he's killed at one time. Yeah. For sure. In the original movie, he kills three people that we see and kills one or two more off camera, which is not that many. But he kills like somewhere between 10 and 20 people in the last scene, uh, never mind all the people leading up to that scene. And that movie is still the same night as the previous movie. So he's got all of those people. And now he's just living in a hole. And <laughs> his kill count in this movie is pretty low. It's yeah, because like homeboy is doing most three, of the killing again, the other kids. Again, it's like kid. three people, maybe? I don't know. Anyway, uh, but he does seem to be get some energy when he kills the cop. Uh, let's see. Corey kills the doctor in his home while the nurse is killed by Michael. An unknowing Allison plans to leave Haddonfield with an insistent Corey because of the past trauma, while Laurie becomes increasingly suspicious of Corey. After finding him sleeping in the spot Jeremy died, Lori offers to help him on the condition that he distanced himself from Allison, which she set up that whole thing to begin with. Yeah. But what but the hell? He hadn't, like, he hadn't gotten banana he sandwich does... yet. Like, he was still, like, right. kind of a normal. He had just had he the one accidental you... death. <laughs> right. He does tell her, you invited me in like he's a vampire or something. Corey <laughs> retorts by blaming her for the events that have occurred on Haddonfield and says if he cannot have Allison, no one will. Other people in town blame her, too. They seem to... A couple people accuse her of taunting Michael. I don't think that ever happened. I don't know what story... I mean, yes, Michael's fixated on her, 
Right. I think that's literally just like people, you know, like, like people, like internet yeah. people, like that's just representing yeah. like people, like, like thinking they know the whole story or thinking that right. they know what happened just because of whatever. And also while we're here, when those people in the parking lot kind of blame Lori, they have that confrontation. That woman that's like paralyzed is the woman from yeah. the previous movie with the husband yes. or her husband. We, or, we and assumed she, we assumed we assume died. she yeah. was dead. But yeah. uh, yes, well, sometimes people go through a lot and, and manage to survive. Yeah. So, yeah, it does seem like a, some of the people that he attacked over the years would might would have actually survived. So that was a nice, interesting Yeah, touch. it was. I liked it. On October 31st, Corey returns to the sewers and successfully fights Michael for his mask. Again, Michael, very weak. If he's letting this, he's still like a foot or two taller than this kid. But uh, on the other hand, he's what, 70 years old? Yes, yeah. He gets Michael's Never mask. Never slowed down Lori, before. Right. Lori and Allison argue as she plans to leave, and Allison too blames Lori for Michael's actions. That night, Corey embarks on a rampage, murdering the bullies after luring them to the salvage yard and accidentally killing his stepfather. Uh, the, the No, the bullies accidentally kill the stepfather, though. He doesn't accidentally yeah. kill the stepfather. I liked that guy. I felt bad for him. He was trying to be a good stepfather because his mother mm-hmm. is kind of crazy. They haven't, they haven't mentioned her at all in this summary, but... His mother's sort of clingy and overprotective, but also mean. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, she's probably gotten all kinds of shit from the neighbors because her son killed that kid. But the stepfather's very nice. And one of the bullies starts to shoot Corey and the stepfather steps in between them and gets shot. Then he goes on to kill his mother, as well as a DJ at a local radio station who had taunted him earlier. They were chilling out on top of the radio station. He and Allison mm-hmm. were having a date on top of the radio station like you do. That seriously. Okay. Him. Best date. Best date I ever had ever was on top of the Scott Theater <laughs> when there was a Scott Theater. Okay. It was. We That's had to right. climb up the it's building. Yeah. It, but um, yeah, it was very illegal, but it was the first date and it was the coolest fucking date I've ever been on. And yeah, it was on top. So, I mean, I'm just saying it could happen. Was it still, wait, I don't want too many details, but was it still open at the time? No, it had already like, there was like a fire and all that shit. Oh, okay. And then uh, it was cool. Be- being a fire. I just knew, I just <laughs> thought it shut down because of lack of business. Well, I guess there was a fire because there was a fire hose like flung over the like, on the top balcony like flung over the seats so we actually (laughs) swung on the fire hose over like the audience seats it was so fun it was like hands down the most amazing day i've ever been on okay well good luck talking (laughs) that yeah for real no kidding i was like young too so of course because i don't trespass in buildings Just, is that the sign anyways. of you're getting old? I don't trespass any. Trespassing's a young boy's game. That's a young man's game. At the Strode house, Lori Foe attempts suicide to lure, to lure Corey to her. She, like, actually calls the police and reports a suicide and then loads the gun and pretends like she's going to use it, somehow knowing that Corey's out there waiting. Brilliant. Because then he comes in and she turns around like... You're a dumbass you to really think I would have committed suicide. Yeah, you really think I was going to kill yeah. myself? Yeah, me yeah. and Gus and were like, she shoots, <laughs> like screaming in the field. Right. 
Anyway, it says, whom she shoots down the stairs. Corey then stabs himself in the neck to frame Lori for his death in front of the arriving Allison, which kind of works. She comes in and Lori, like a dumbass, goes over and picks up the knife so that she's standing there with a bloody knife in her hands when Allison comes in. Michael suddenly arrives and kills Corey because he's not quite dead. Yeah, which I thought this moment of like Corey, because he, first of all, this was another moment of like pure shock of him just like stabbing himself in the fucking throat to, mm. you know, like if I can't have her, no one will. Um, but when he like came, kind but of that's came not back how that alive, works. <laughs> yeah, seriously. When he came he back does not alive, understand. <laughs> so when he, yeah, when he like kind of isn't dead, I figured that it was like that was because he now had the like Michael Meyer paranormal thing because he right. saw into his soul and they were like partners. So now he's like not gonna die, even though we kill him every movie kind of thing you know what i mean mm -hmm. yeah i don't know why michael now is killing it oh because he stole his mask that's why he kills him <laughs> can't have that can't. it's like hey i let you have my mojo and you stole my mask a fight ensues and Lori manages to pin michael to the table she stabs him with a knife in the hand pinning him to the table after struggle allison arrives to help subdue and finally kill him they basically crucify him to the table because they pin his other hand with a knife break his arm, pin his other hand, and then slit his throat and his wrists. Lori and Allison take his body to the salvage yard by police escort. Totally inappropriate. Yeah, and also, where are all the dead kids? Oh, I don't know. They already, Did they ever find they already, them? No, they, I mean, they would all be oh, at the salvage there, yard. Like, that's right. They're, they're, that's at the right. salvage yard, but they don't were. Everyone, like, it was just like nothing that's ever right. happened. I'm like, oh, uh, no, a, there's, there's a bunch of dead people here. Like, what are we doing? There should be, like, a... A truck with a fence and a girl underneath it. Yeah. Yeah. But the sheriff, the the deputy that she likes shows up and then the sheriff himself shows up and they're and they're all like, here's what we're going to do. This is totally illegal, but fuck it. And they put his body on top of the car and parade it through town, gathering up pretty much the whole fucking town as they go. Take him out to the salvage yard, uh, oh. attracting the residents of Haddonfield who follow them in a procession and dispose of it in an industrial shredder. Yeah. They wanted to make sure that we knew that he was dead, dead, dead. It's one of these huge things that you would throw metal into and it would shred it up, I guess, for recycling. And uh, yeah. they just dump his body in there and it and it grinds it to a pulp. They Can wanted to make absolutely the, sure. The people of Haddonfield and how bad they sucked because, like, remember last the last movie when they were all in the hospital scene and they were uh, all like chasing that poor man that wasn't like yes. that was like four foot tall and like mm -hmm. and now they're all i don't know i just this town is weird i don't like but these people are <laughs> fucked up but i think the filmmakers wanted to make it absolutely clear that michael is dead and there's no way he's coming back mm -hmm. this is definitely him and his body is destroyed but but I don't know. I feel like he passed his magic off to the what is his name? The kid's name? Corey. Corey? Yeah, Corey. To throw him in the chipper too, just to be sure. Yeah, because he was like he went on a psycho rampage that like also after he got the magic and then when he came back alive there at the end after he had stabbed been shot and stabbed himself in the throat. 
that is a very Michael Myers death going on there. Okay. Yeah. For him to just be like completely alive and okay. The next movie. Yeah. And so for him to like do that, I was like, Oh my gosh, it just felt like he passed the torch and now it's like the granddaughter right. and this new guy. And they could have done a thing where they come back and his body's not there, but they didn't. So I think they intend us to believe he is dead as well. In mm. the ensuing days, Allison and Lori reconcile and Allison leaves Haddonfield while Lori finishes her memoir and rediscovers her romance with Deputy Hawkins. <laughs> the end. I love her and Deputy Hawkins together. I'm not going to lie. Sure. Ugh. So cute. I want them to bang it out. I really like them together. There's so much like tension there. Like they, they like each other so much and they, but there's just so much uh, trauma, trauma bonds. Anyway. Yeah. That's uh will, will Patton as the deputy. He's been in all kinds of stuff. You've seen him in things going back to yeah. the eighties. Cause yeah. he's as old as she is. Uh, so, so how many pumpkins are you going to give this movie? What do you think? I'm giving it three, just right down the middle. It was okay. Didn't love it. Didn't hate it. It was fine. Again, I don't think this was the right film to start experimenting with the formula. <laughs> Especially, I think a lot of people after that last scene in the previous movie, they thought it was going to only go up from there and it didn't. It came down. Yeah. We're like, bring it on down now. We're going to bring it on down. <laughs> gonna get nice and smooth yeah <laughs> that's funny um so i'm gonna say uh, i'm gonna say five pumpkins for me i wow. love i loved it <laughs> i i okay. loved it so much i enjoyed it so much the like shock and awe of it for me was just so good and it way exceeded my expectations as far as movies go i thought it was gonna be like kind of like shit and um so, like, there was this interview that I read about the director kind of answering to some backlash. And he did talk about how there's that everyone, like, gets connected to stories, right, in these certain ways. And they take these things, whatever they want from these stories, and they have this emotional connection with those things. And he took those things for him and, like, made them his own. And he's, like, you know, I just really loved how he explained that. And, um... Let me see. I think I have the article. It's off of movieweb.com. Uh, Halloween Ends Director Response to Negative Feedback. If you want to look it up and read it, it's great. Um, but yeah, I, I really liked it. Um, I was just, I just completely loved it. There were some things I didn't like about it. I felt like the whole Michael Myers being weak thing, it really reminded me of the jeepers creepers um letting people live in the third jeepers creepers movie where it's like all of a sudden he's just not as like this powerful killing machine like he's just not as strong all of a sudden for absolutely no reason uh -huh. at all but i do really like everything there was so many good things and so many surprising moments and little gems that i like connected with that i felt like i didn't give a shit really that Michael was like I said I don't really care about this story enough to like I was never a fan of Halloween um I really liked Rob Zombie's version that he put out it's my favorite one but yeah next to this one I would say this one's just as good it's just a little bit different and I can understand why you know like OG fans just like hardcore Halloween fans are like fuck this movie um yeah totally I get it I understand but you know Agree to disagree, I guess. That's 
that's the perks of not being a hardcore fan of something you know you're you're like not so emotionally biased that you can enjoy um the weird wacky things and so yeah i loved it and i'm so glad i did because there was so much anticipation building up to this movie and this episode 31 days of horror y'all uh yes yes so we we made it through (laughs) amazing we'll do it again next year thinking of having a theme next year but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna reveal that yet I like the idea of the theme, but I feel like on a lot of episodes this year, you've already like planned what movies you're going to watch with people. Oh, (laughs) well, I'll talk to you about that off mic. Oh, okay. We will be back to our regular schedule starting on Saturday with our long awaited episode of all monsters attack. And we have a special interview in that episode with Ron Bonk of SRS Cinema, and we will talk to him about Space Monster Wang Magui, the long-lost South Korean kaiju movie. Yay, which we're supposed to get in January? Yes, possibly sooner, but that's the target date. Nice. So join us here for that. Until then, I have been Precious D. And I have been Honey Bee. Thank you so much for joining us, guys. Happy Halloween-y. Yes, happy Halloween. Remember to keep calm and seek shelter in basements. And please, don't miss you science. We will not see you, but you will hear us next time on Monster Movie Fun Time Go. You've been listening to Monster Movie Fun Time Go. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on your podcasting platform of choice. Our theme song is by the Texacato Folk Rock Punk featuring Lita Lopez. You can support the show, find links to our social media, and even leave us a voice message at anchor.fm slash mnftg. Don't, don't, don't.